Hey, what's up, baby? It's another week, so you know that means it's another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast. This is episode 121. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you to a a fun, uh, an engaging, entertaining show. We're going to rock for about an hour and a half this week, and there's a lot to get to, including the Joker movie. I still haven't seen it, but every time I turn around, someone has another deep dive, another think piece on the Joker movie. You're not going to get anything like that from me. No, 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 no. I still have not seen the movie, but I'm still going to somehow rank all of the Jokers that at least I enjoy. Here's a hint. Heath Ledger will not be number one. All of that plus... Damn, the NBA stepped in it this week, didn't they? Daryl Morey, let me say this. If this is all a part of an elaborate plan for him to get fired from his position as general manager for the Houston Rockets, damn it, it's ingenious. But if this is not, it just adds to another in an already long list of head-scratching decisions made by the wonder kid of the analytic community. I'm going to touch on that and so much more, but first, a remixed version of the first quarter this week. First quarter. Trust me when I say I was completely ready, fully prepared to start this show off bragging about my Virginia brethren, Russell Wilson. Trust and believe that this quarter was already set in stone, right? Thursday night football happens. Everybody is raving about Russ the next day. Everybody on the, on all the shows and radio discussions and all this other stuff. Everyone's talking. Oh my gosh. Russell Wilson may be the most underrated player in NFL history. Russell Wilson is one of the best players. The unsung, all of the praise that was being heaped upon Russell Wilson. I was feeling away. I have been championing. I have been campaigning. I have been supporting Russell Wilson from the jump. And even though I sometimes, full disclosure, use him, right, as part of my, man, you can't overpay quarterbacks. You got to be careful, right? All of those criticisms have been silenced. You look at what that guy has been doing over the last two seasons. It's clear he absolutely is a franchise player, and he is one of the few quarterbacks who, no matter the offensive line, no matter the offensive weapons, no matter the running game, it doesn't matter. Look at the names of the players who have left Seattle. The Seahawks, while they may not be Super Bowl contenders, and in the NFC it's tough because you never really know who is and who isn't, in that conference at least. But you you know what's going to happen. As long as Russell Wilson is playing, the Seahawks are going to have a winning season. They made it to the playoffs all but one year. And even that year, I think they went nine and seven. There just aren't players like that. They just don't come around. So naturally, I was ready to not only pat myself on the back, but also big up my state. Not only my state, dog, the city, 804. We don't have anyone else. I shouldn't say that. Justin Verlander, what's up, bro? But it's not like we have this long history. Anytime you think of Virginia athletes, Tidewater, I promise you, all of them. Or 
Petersburg, right? That's it. Not Richmond, right? Petersburg or the vast majority Tidewater. So I was so prepared. Slim, you would have thought that I was super Seahawk, bro. I'm catching fish at the damn market. Got, you know, Pearl Jam and Nirvana banging in the, the, the system. You understand what I'm saying? One of them super big-ass earrings that like, take up the whole loaf. You would have thought I was one of them bamas. You really would have because I was going to be so Seattle with it, bro. I got my damn Sean Kemp jersey on just in case y'all forgot. Shout out to Roy Jones Jr. But no, as I'm prepared to big up my city and my favorite player in the NFL, what the hell does the Burgundy and Gold have to do Monday morning? Monday morning, my show should be finished. Slim these motherfuckers fired Jay Gruden weeks after I said, yo, here, fire Jay Gruden. <laughs> you feel me? I should be kind of being like, yo, you see, you know, I kind of call that joint. Shout out to my man T-Stro. I told you I should be like that, but I'm not. I can't even rejoice. Actually, you know what? That's nasty. I'm not going to say rejoice. Jay Gruden, nobody wants to get fired. It's, it's not even, you know what? Never mind. I'm a double back. Yeah, I'm rejoicing. <laughs> that motherfucker's going to make what? $10 million over the next two years? You know? However much he still has left for this year's contract and next year, I believe, right? I believe that's what it is. Actually, no, it's not because this is his last year of his deal. Either way, he's getting paid. And you know his brother's going to hold him down. So, you know, while no one wants to, to be on that end of a business transaction in terms of losing a job, no one wants to be on that end. That's tough. And I'm sure it's a, a rough situation that he's been through. Lord knows this is not excusing this organization in Ashburn, Virginia. Trust me when I say this. You are going to hear me talk over the next eight to ten minutes. And I'm not giving any type of, uh, I'm not providing any type of shield or any umbrella or, or any type of excuse for the burgundy and gold. Okay. As a Nick fan, trust me, I can tell a trash organization a mile away. And what's going on in Ashburn is a trash organization. I get it. I'm not excusing Daniel Snyder. I'm not excusing Bruce Allen. But what I am doing is saying, y'all got to stop. <laughs> is Jay Gruden the biggest problem for Washington? Was he the biggest problem for Washington? Of course not. But was he a problem? Yeah, damn right. Right? Just because my house is on fire, right? Just because somebody's breaking into my car. Just because, you know, somebody is stealing my money from my bank account. All of these things can happen. All of those things could be happening at this at the same time, right? My house is on fire. Someone's breaking into my car. My, my financial situation, somebody stealing, stealing from me. That then doesn't mean if some dude is trying to holler at my wife or kissing on her, somebody should be like, hey, yo, that dude right there. Handle that. I can't, I may not be able to handle the fire. You feel me? You understand the same backdraft? You know, somebody breaking into my car. Okay, I have car insurance. 
If someone is stealing money from me, damn it, I have to figure out who's doing it first. But if you telling some telling me somebody's talking to my old lady, causing some friction, oh, best believe I could knock his ass out. And that's what the Redskins did. You can't you can't make Dan Snyder sell the team. Okay? I think bro, I wish look, if you are a fan of the skins and y'all can figure out a way to get your owner to sell the team, a lucrative team, a team that makes a lot of money, let me know. Tell me the secret so I can pass it on to the good folks in Manhattan so we can get James Dolan the hell up out of there, okay? Let me know how that works, please, okay? But until you figure that out, you can't do anything about the owner. So then you go down to Bruce Allen, and yeah, Bruce Allen is awful at his job. This is not me excusing him. But this is a new newsflash, ladies and gentlemen. By all accounts, by the people who I trust, not just on the sports side of things, but on the news side of things as well, okay, as it comes to D.C. politics. I am hearing that Bruce Allen, he has one purpose. He has one sole purpose as it, as it pertains to the burgundy and gold. And that's to bring the skins to D.C., get them a new stadium, preferably where RFK is and will once have been, if that makes any sense. So until they figure out the stadium, I'm under the impression that Bruce Allen is going to be here to stay. And that's a big problem. I get that. I truly do. So you're working, right, with your back up against the wall with sharks right at your nips, at, right at your feet, nipping at your feet, right? So you damn... You really have no margin for error. So guess what Jay Gruden was? He was another error. <laughs> okay? Game over. Get his ass up out of here, bro. I'm so sick of people shooting bail to Jay Gruden. You can, look, Dan Snyder, you can say all of these things at the same time. It is okay. Yo, your, your parents aren't going to punish you. I promise you. The boogeyman's not going to come after you if you say these three things, okay? Daniel Snyder is an awful owner. Bruce Allen is possibly the worst front office executive in all of major sports now that Ernie Grunfeld is gone. And thirdly, Jay Gruden was awful as a head coach. You can say all of those things. It's okay. I promise you. Nobody's going to hurt you if you say that. It's okay. It really is. I've heard all of the excuses for Jay Gruden. Oh, it's an awful culture. Oh, who can win there? Oh, my goodness, it's an awful. They don't know how to run a business. I'm going to ask you guys this question generally, and you can answer it in the privacy of your own home, in your car, if you're working out. However you listen to this podcast, number one, I love and appreciate you. But number two, answer this question. How many owners do you think are legitimate good people, smart people when it comes to running an organization, right? Do you think Jerry Jones knows what he's doing? Seriously. You know about Jerry Richardson. They had to take his team away from him. He was in the Super Bowl not too long ago. The Carolina Panthers. He's a dirtbag. Hell, 
The model owner of the NFL, Robert Kraft, may very well have been, allegedly, let me provide some type of, you know, he was allegedly linked to a damn sex trafficking ring. Okay? He got caught up in this thing with people allegedly involved in sex trafficking. All right? The vast majority of owners, no matter the league, are dirtbags. So is Daniel Snyder a dirtbag? Yes. Okay? Sorry to sorry to burst the bubble. He is. Does he know what he's doing? No. But I don't think most of these owners know what they're doing. Have you seen some of the contracts that have been given out? I am not shooting bail to Daniel Snyder. Daniel Snyder is awful, but you can't do anything about him. He owns the team. And if this could be any type of, I don't know, any type of insurance or anything of good grace or somebody, something that can make you feel a little bit better. People thought Robert Kraft was an idiot when he first signed or first owned the Patriots. Look at Jim Irsay. Jim Irsay is a clown, a dopehead, a fiend. Okay? He's got a Super Bowl. <laughs> okay? You understand what I'm saying? Dog, it's not like all of these owners are the, the, the Rooney family or God bless the dead Paul Allen. It's not like you got a bunch of them. The vast majority of the owners in the NFL, they don't know what the hell they're doing. And it's, and it's shown by how they handle situations. So I don't look at Daniel Snyder being the ultimate kiss of death. Look, <laughs> he's close. He may not be the ultimate kiss of death, but damn it, he's a kiss of death. He definitely is. And I don't know if he has anybody in his ear that he trusts who can be honest with him, be like, yo, you suck, bro. Just fall all the way back. And that's unfortunate. Obviously, the Bruce Allen situation is, is a mess. But here's what Bruce Allen didn't do. He didn't decide not to hire Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator. When Jake Gruden first signed into D.C., that could have been the move. Look at what Wade Phillips, well, not necessarily this year, but look at what Wade Phillips did at every other D.C. spot that he's had. Jake Gruden's ego did not want Wade Phillips to be here. Let me know the first good defensive coordinator that Jay Gruden has then decided to hire. Just give me one. Do you need more reasons as to why Jay Gruden is an awful head coach? He's supposed to be billed as this offensive guru, right? He was the one leading the charge of Kirk Cousins being a franchise quarterback and a top 10 quarterback and all this other stuff. So you had Wonder Kirk, top 10 quarterback Kirk. You had Jordan Reed in his prime, a healthy Jordan Reed. You had Trent Williams in his prime. You had Pierre Garçon. You had Deshaun Jackson. You had Chris Thompson, Jamison Crowder. You had all of these offensive weapons, and you're this offensive guru. How the hell y'all not score touchdowns? How come you couldn't score touchdowns with this immaculate offensive arsenal? Huh? You're an offensive guru. How come you can't run the damn ball? It's been six seasons. Y'all still can't rush the football. Scheme that. Like what? How come the 
How come the Burgundy and Gold are always among the most penalized teams in the league? You're this offensive guru. Get some discipline. How is it that every player who leaves Washington, almost all of them, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but so many players who leave D.C., they say, man, Jay, he's a cool guy, but no one respects him. He has no discipline. DJ Swearinger said that on his way out last year. Now there are reports of people on Snapchat during meetings. I'm like, come on, bro. We get so fascinated over, oh, look how pretty this play design was. Yeah, Jay Gruden can move the ball from 20 to 20. When you get in the red zone, what happens? Yeah, man, he can scheme a great offensive play. And yeah, he's cool and he's nice and friendly. And oh my God, we talked about it a few weeks ago. I love to get a, I love to grab a beer with Jay Gruden. All that good stuff. All that sounds cool. It doesn't mean a damn thing. Yet. Five plus years, six seasons to turn it around. Six. And what did he do? He had one nine, seven, and one season. I'm sorry, nine and seven season. And the only reason he had a nine and seven season is because in the second week of the season of the year, Tony Romo broke his collarbone. Y'all know damn well. And I'm not even a Cowboys fan. But had Tony Romo not hurt himself in the second week of the season, way back when, they would have never went to the playoffs. Let's keep it funky. You feel me? Let's be real here. Y'all got a discount bargain basement playoff appearance, and they got smoked in a wild card game, and that's cool. Look, take it how you get it, how you live. I'm not knocking y'all, but like, let's stop acting like, oh my god, that one nine and seven season, he won nine games once, once. Joe Gibbs was damn near senile and went to two playoff appearances you understand what i'm saying i'm talking to one of my partners online oh i shouldn't say partners but somebody who i'm cool with right um a colleague and he's like yeah man this has been the best six year stretch of the last 20 seasons and i thought like dog why are we grading on a curve and i wouldn't even the only reason this six year stretch is better is because joe gibbs retired joe gibbs is tenure joe gibbs 2.0 was far better than this of Jay Gruden. What are you talking about? They owing five. They're owing five. He went down with Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy. They scored seven points. You're an offensive guru. And you got the nerve. You got the nerve to start leaking stuff about the rook. Like, dog, that shit is so nasty. I don't know what y'all like about Jay Gruden. I really don't. I really don't. Because everything about him reeks of this entitled. And again, it's not all his fault. I wouldn't even assess most of the blame to Jay Gruden. I really wouldn't. But I didn't like how he came in D.C. And y'all know I'm not an RG3 fan. But he got the job because he told everybody that he would help develop RG3. We know that didn't happen. Then he had a chance to start developing Dwayne Haskins. And he's like, nah, I'm going to give him practice squad reps. If the dude needs help, he needs help. Like, what? Colt McCoy, this is your guy. The only reason Colt McCoy is on the roster is because of Jay Gruden. He managed seven points on the opening drive and then punt, interception, punt, 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 punt. Like, dog, what? You're an offensive guru. Sit your motherfucking ass down, bro. I can't stand Jay Gruden. 
And all y'all Bamas was shooting the bell. I get it. I get it. He's not the sole problem. He's not the biggest problem. He still was a problem. You feel me? He still was a problem. <laughs> like, it's okay. You don't have to get everything done on one shot. Take your time. Work up to it. But you can never solve all of the problems if you ignore one because, hey, I got a bigger one over there. What type of logic is that? So, yeah, man, you know, Dan Snyder, he's a dickhead. He flexed on him, made his ass come to Ashburn at 5 in the morning to fire him. I thought, how much money do you have to be to, or have to have to be such a dickhead? Like, like, what's the threshold for dickhead money? Because that's exactly what Dan Snyder is at. Like, 5 in the morning? Bro, come on, Slim. <laughs> come on, Joe. There's some reports that say that they went to, like, some island. And I don't know how much of this I believe. But as soon as they got back, they called Gruder to come to the offices. It wasn't like they just woke up at 5 in the morning and was like, all right, man, let's do this. They just got back in town. You know what I'm saying? They knew how, They knew what was going down. And you know what? That's a problem. Please, if you're a Skins fan, don't listen to this quarter and think that I'm shooting uh, Daniel Snyder or Bruce Allen Bell. They both are trash. In fact... I would absolutely agree with the fact or the sentiment that Bruce Allen is worse at his job than Jay Gruden is. And Daniel Snyder is worse at his job than Jay Gruden is. Both things. I agree. But that then doesn't mean that Jay Gruden is good at his job. Let Jay Gruden get another opportunity. You know, let's see what happens. I know exactly what's going to happen. He's going to suck. He's not good. He's not a good head coach. I'm listening to Grant and Danny. I don't, you know, I don't know why. And they're, and they're going down the list of head coaches um, under Dan Snyder's uh, ownership, right? And they're like, oh, you know how Grant talks. Ah. You know, Marty Schneider didn't make it out of the contract. That was the one wrong. That was the L. Snyder should have never fired Marty after a season. I think we all understand that. But look at all the other head coaches who did who did get fired. Where's the one where you're like, oh, man, outside of Marty, outside of Marty, who's the coach where you're like, man, you know what? That was a mistake. We should have kept him longer. Spurrier, Zorn, Shanahan. <laughs> like, which one? The only thing that. The problem was that they didn't fire his ass after last season. That's what I've been saying. That's what I've said for time, like for a year now, or months, I should say. They should have fired Jay Gruden after last season. Because now, the, the entire environment is toxic. And this is another thing that I can't stand about Jay Gruden. Why are you leaking stuff about Haskins now? It's the same stuff that Shanahan did with RG3. All of that is nasty. Like, dog, cash your check and shut the fuck up, bro. Nobody want to hear that. Talking about he may be two years away. He can't read defenses. Who you who do you think told Diana Rossini that? Who do you think told her that? You know, take a wild guess. If it wasn't Jay, it was somebody who's close to Jay. I promise you that. One Greg Minuski. Sorry ass Jay Gruden, man. Go go chill with your brother. Oh punk ass. You know what I'm saying? Everything about this whole thing is trash. All of it. And there are a lot of fingers. There are a lot of there are a lot of people to blame. 
Let me put it that way. But it's never a wrong thing to identify a problem and get rid of it, no matter how big of a problem it was, right? The, the Washington Redskins identified Jay Gruden as a problem. Is he their biggest problem? No. Is he their most, most significant problem? No. But he was a problem, and it was time for him to go. I want to hear what you guys think about the firing of Jay Gruden. Am I being too hard on him? No, right? But if you want to be wrong, let me know why I'm being too hard on Jay Gruden, okay? I am all ears. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me, quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Or do this. Head on over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave me a comment, right? Leave me a comment why I'm wrong for being so hard on Jay Gruden. Again, I'm not wrong, right? But if you want to let the whole world know that you are completely oblivious to common sense and rationale as it pertains to the NFL, do so. I'm begging you. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and talk to me. Let me know. Give me feedback on this podcast. All right, guys. So, yeah, I wanted to talk about Russell Wilson, but I'm not going to. In fact, for our second topic, I'm not talking about sports at all. But I am going to give you a list. It's our second topic this week. Second. An old news director of mine once told me, Armand, people love lists. The more lists you can give them, the better. Now, I don't think I need to let you guys know I really didn't like this guy uh, for a lot of different reasons. One of which, when I first met him, he had the grossest looking fingernails, man. I don't know. Back in my old job, we used to call him Nails. Uh, or I don't know. The dude was just nuts. He was just like a, you know, I, I don't even, he, he, he reminded me much like Danny DeVito's version of the penguin. Okay. But he was right about this. Okay. People love lists. So last week in the hype surrounding the new Joker movie, I started thinking, uh, you know, this character, Martin Scorsese goes out of his way to bash, you know, um, comic movies, particularly Marvel. But it's the same thing. It's not cinema and all this other stuff. And that's his opinion. I mean, look, who am I going, who am I to critique anything that Martin Scorsese says about cinema, right? That would be like if Martin Scorsese went up to, you know, Jerry West and started talking about how to run a front office in the NBA, right? Just like, shut up, bro. No one wants to hear you say it. But it got me thinking. If comic movies, by and large, aren't these great, um, I don't know, aren't great pieces of art, cinematic art, well, then how do you explain the Joker? Not the movie, but the character. Look at all of the people who have played this role, okay? Just different variations, different types of incarnations of the same character. Heath Ledger, Oscar award winner, God bless the dead. Joaquin Phoenix, I believe he's an Oscar award winner, definitely Oscar nominated actor. A lot of people are raving about his performance. This year, feel that he's going to win an Oscar for the performance of the Joker again. Jack Nicholson, Oscar award-winning actor. Jared Leto, I believe an Oscar award-winning actor. The list goes on and on. Like, think about it. What's, what character 
can you get so many different variations of, but still produce at a high level? I, I'm honestly, I'm being dead ass. I love the Joker. Look, of all the comics, of all the comic book heroes, the one that I love the most is Batman, right? I like Batman. I like the villains more so, but I like the, I just like a lot of the stuff, right? I didn't read a lot of comics when I was a kid, but I did get down with Batman. So it got me thinking, okay? I just ran through a list of a bunch of A-list actors, people who are award-winning or Oscar-nominated actors who have played the same role. And they, to give them credit, they have done an amazing job at kind of um, solidifying and putting their own spin. Again, we've got so many different variations of the same character. It's amazing. And I don't know if we've ever had that done before. Even Batman, right? There have been a bunch of different guys play Batman and Bruce Wayne. There ain't been that many different, really good versions of it, right? <laughs> like, let's be honest. There are a lot of bad Batman. I don't know how many bad Jokers there have been. And maybe it's just because the role is so amazing. I watched Gotham. Remember the show that was on Fox? Dog, even the little kid who played Baby Joker was dope. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's just something about the role, something about the character that lends it lends itself to just being so memorable and so fantastic. I mean, I don't even know what other superlative you want to use, okay? But there's only so many times you could get nominated for an Academy Award playing the same exact character. But it got me thinking, right? My old boss and his nasty fingers. I started thinking, yo, man, what if Danny DeVito ass, fill in the blank redacted, what would he do if I was to name or list my favorite jokers of all time? And damn it, that's exactly what I'm going to do now. Number one, I do know this about lists. No one is going to agree with me. That's cool. This is perfect for the show. Because I want you guys to get involved. So I want you to send me your top five Joker list. Follow me on Quarterly Show on Twitter. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. I'm going to tweet out my top five Jokers. I want to hear what you guys feel about it, right? Because clearly, everybody's in love with this character. This, this movie is making so much money. It's rated R. It came out in October. It's breaking all types of records, right? I haven't seen it yet, but I tend to, I plan on seeing it this week. So because I have not seen it, I have to then put Jared Leto at number, I'm sorry, not Jared Leto, Joaquin Phoenix at number five, right? He could climb the list. I have a problem with the movie just in general because they're giving us a backstory on the Joker and they, I guess it feels as if in many ways they're making him a sympathetic figure, right? Trying to understand what made the Joker who he was. I'm not really in for that, right? I'm not really feeling that, but again, I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to speak out of turn, but I've heard nothing but positive reviews. There were a lot of people who were upset at the idea, and now it's kind of morphed into people that keep on trying to speak something into existence, right? So I got to see it with my own eyes, but people who I trust, people whose opinion on movies and acting that I trust, they give this movie the stamp of approval, the seal of approval, right? So I'm with it. I'm going to check it out, but because I haven't seen it, I have to put Joaquin Phoenix as of right now at number five. Number four, I jumped the gun a little bit, was Jared Leto. I hated Suicide Squad. I hated that movie. I hated 
I hated that movie a great deal. I thought the concept, much like much of DC Comics in their uh, forays into movies, they had a good idea. And the execution was just shit, right? It could have been so dope, but they just dropped the ball. But I did like the Joker, and he was like the crazy gangster Joker, right? Again, a different variation of the same character, right? But we got a different version, a different interpretation, if you will. And it was cool, right? I think more than likely after I watch this newest version of the Joker, I feel like Jared Leto would fall to number five. But I did enjoy seeing Jared Leto being chased by Batman with this crazy uh, nickel-plated gun in, in the tux tatted up. I thought that was kind of dope. It was a joker that I hadn't seen before and I thought it was cool and though, although the movie was trash, right? So, Suicide Squad's Jared Leto is our fourth joker on my top five list. Number three, and this is what is going to shock you guys. I know he got an Oscar. I know he was the first person to really give us a deeper, darker joker. And I get it. You know, it's sad, historic, God bless the dead. But y'all, man, I'm. this is not a knock on Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger's Joker was dope. But it's my third one, bro. I don't care. I feel like some of y'all just jumped on the bandwagon. Like, again, Heath Ledger's Joker was dope. This is not me knocking Heath Ledger. It, I promise you it's not. This is not a hot take. It was super dope. He just wasn't in my top two. Dog, y'all know what my number one If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you already know what my number one is. Some of y'all jive disrespectful about number two, and y'all going to find out who is my number two in a second. I don't know how you could say that that Joker was better than the other two, right? It was a more maniacal, a darker version, and I think that's cool. I also think that this Joker benefited from being in a great movie. Hey, dog, The Dark Knight was one of the best movies. Forget comic movies. It was definitely one of the best movies that came out of that year and one of the more memorable movies, right, to come out over the last 10 some odd years. Like that that movie was just a great movie. And yes, the Joker stole the show. He stole the scenes in every scene he was in it. But yo, the story of two I mean th- the story of Two-Face is always a great one. Uh his girl died. like that's the movie was just amazing. You understand what I'm saying? And while I appreciated the dark version of the Joker, and I guess the fe- I, I mean it was a is a dark, intimidating version, I suppose. I don't know. It wasn't. It didn't. It didn't hit me on the 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 humor with the Joker as well. Yes, there were definitely parts that were funny that the Joker said. Right, quick, pithy one-liners. Right, definitely. And this is not me being overly criti- like critical again he's number three but i'm only choosing five and if you wanted to do it the top three are very close okay there's a huge separation between three and four and heath ledger is significantly better than jared leto okay so don't get that twisted i enjoy heath ledger's version of the joker but these other two versions i would say i watched the dark knight not because of the Joker. I watched The Dark Knight because the movie was great. Of these other two Jokers, I would say definitely number one. That Joker makes 
that movie or that piece of art, right? That that type, whatever it is, show, movie, whatever you want to call it. Heath Ledger gave us a different version of the Joker that we had ever seen before, and he gets credit for that. Again, God bless the dead. But I don't think, I think, I think y'all riding the wave a little bit too hard when it comes to Heath Ledger. I think that was a great interpretation, reimagining of the Joker, but I do not think that was the best Joker of all time. In fact, I have it coming in at number three. So if you know what number one is, and if Heath Ledger is my third, I'm sure many of you are thinking, okay, well, who the hell is number two for the Joker? This is when my childhood definitely comes into play. Mark Hamill, okay? Dog, y'all know him as Luke Skywalker, or I think he was Chucky. <laughs> he was the voice of Chucky. Dog, Batman the Animated Series, bro, don't say shit to me about that, okay? I love that show so much. I was not really a big fan of cartoons. After a certain age, like, I remember Snick, I think it was, when I was like 8, 9, and I watched Ren and Stimpy. And then I kind of just fell off of cartoons with the one exception, and that one exception was Batman the Animated Series. I watched that joint. Dog, I watched Mass of the Phantasm not too long ago. I love Batman the Animated Series. I don't care what y'all say. I kick y'all ass, bro. That joint was dope. You understand? I remember coming home from high school. I like, yo, man, let me check this out, right? And I always was like, yo, if it was a Joker episode, shit, buddy, ain't no way in the world I'm turning it off. That is what I'm talking about. It was so many, like the Joker episodes of Batman the Animated Series. And all of those episodes were dope. They were like just a really, really, really good television show. But if you got a Joker episode, it was that much better. And Mark Hamill brought something to that character that was so dope, bro. I, I don't, I think y'all sleeping on Mark Hamill, bro. Or maybe you just don't even think of it. Because a lot of times when people talk about the best Jokers, you think automatically to movies, right? But to me, there's no way I could do a top five with Mark Hamill not being number two. Because... It was just that much of a treat. You understand what I'm saying? When he gave his version of the Joker with the laugh and the like, the wit. You understand what I'm saying? Not just a one-liner, but just legit humor. I was all the way with it. So Mark Hamill's number two. If you haven't, if you like the Joker, right? If you like any of these Jokers that I've said and you haven't watched the animated version of Batman, man, do yourself a favor, man. Watch one of them and just rejoice and laugh your ass off at Mark Hamill's version of this iconic character. So that's number two. For a quick recap, number five, Joaquin Phoenix. I have not seen the Joker, this current movie. I'm going to see it next or this week. Once I finish seeing it, he, pro he may very well rise up the list, okay? But right now, because I haven't seen it, he's number five. Number four, Jared Leto, his interpretation of the Joker on Suicide Squad. He made that movie, in my opinion. Number three, Heath Ledger. Uh, again, Oscar award-winning role. He he gave us the real first true dark version of the Joker. And because of that, he deserves credit, okay? But I think y'all put too much of the greatness of the Dark Knight onto Heath Ledger's shoulders. Again, God bless the dead. No disrespect to him, but I don't think it's as great as a lot of people make it out to be. Great nonetheless, and that's why he's number three. Number two the legend, Mark Hamill, dog. He's Chucky, Luke Skywalker, and the Joker. Shut your mouth, all right? And number one, 
I don't even think that this is an argument. I, I tweeted this out this past weekend, and Babbins was like, oh, man, I'm crazy. He ledger this. He le Dog, stop it. Stop it. Heath Ledger's Joker is not better than Jack Nicholson's Joker. What are y'all talking about? You understand? How? How? Please let me know how you can watch The Dark Knight. Not the movie. Not the storyline. Not the plot. None of that. Just the character. How you can say that Heath Ledger's version of The Joker is better than Jack Nicholson's. This motherfucker tried to kill the entire city. <laughs> Bro. He tried to kill the entire city. He was like, I dare you to wear deodorant. <laughs> That's what Jack Nicholson was on. Wear deodorant. He tried to kill them. Then he was like, all right, bet. I'm going to have Prince make my soundtrack. And I'm going to give y'all all money. And when y'all all get money, I'm going to kill y'all then. You feel me, dog? And it wasn't like this is the thing. The Joker, much like Heath Ledger's version, was sinister. The Joker, much like Heath Ledger's version, there was no rhyme or reason, right? He just wanted havoc. He just, as the what Michael Caine says, some men just want to see the world burn. That's exactly what Jack Nicholson's Joker wanted to do, but Jack Nicholson's version of the Joker was infinitely more funny like that's to me as someone who loves the character of the joker that is what embodies this character that is what makes this character so special it can be intimidating he can be intimidating menacing dangerous violent sadistic right but then also be hilarious i don't know if i would I don't know if I would categorize Heath Ledger's version of the Joker as being hilarious. Again, he was funny. He had funny one-liners. He made you laugh, but he wasn't hilarious. Jack Nicholson's version of the Joker was fucking hilarious, bro. I, I don't Again, I don't know what y'all are watching. I don't know what y'all religion is. But to me, when I see Jack Nicholson pull out a 10-foot hammer, and shoot down the damn bat wing, that tickles my soul in a way that I feel like when I'm 80-some-odd years old and I'm watching that movie, I'll still laugh the way I did when I was eight. That joint was just so funny to me. You understand? Jack Nicholson trying to holler at Vicky Vale. <laughs> Bro, dog, this is what I'm saying. All of the personality, all of the things that make the Joker who he is, Trying to spit game to a woman, women, right? Being funny, being charismatic, but then also being dangerous. That's exactly what Jack Nicholson was. And I think, I think Jack Nicholson, I think we all would agree Jack Nicholson is the best actor of the five. And I don't think it's that stretch, that big of a stretch to then be like, yo, he gave us the best Joker. Not because Batman is the best movie, but ask yourself this question. If you remove the Joker from Batman or even replace them with another actor, what's memorable about that movie? I can give you a bunch of memorable moments, memorable quotes that came from Harvey Dent, Two-Face, Bruce Wayne, the whole nine. You know, 
of, of the dark of the dark night. Yes, Heath Ledger was the best part of it, but he was not the only memorable version or memorable moment of that film. You cannot say the same thing about Batman. Jack Nicholson and that character made that movie and Jack Nicholson completely embodied everything and all that it is to be the Joker. I don't think it's I don't think it's an argument at all. But I welcome I welcome smashing you guys. If you want to disagree, come test me, baby. I have no problem swatting y'all like the Kimmy Mutombo. Oh no, no, no. If you disagree with Jack Nicholson being the top joker, send your argument my way. I welcome it. I welcome it. I want them like Scooby Snacks, bro. Tweet them at me. Quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. Email me. Quarterly report at gmail.com or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to this podcast. Let me know what you think. Let me know your list, okay? Again, I'm going to tweet out my list. I want to hear from you, all right? So if you disagree, maybe you do it. agree with me. Retweet, quote, tweet, reply, however y'all want to get down, man. Let's make this more of a community. You understand what I'm saying? Y'all been listening to me for so long, and I appreciate it. Let me hear what y'all got to say, all right? So let me know your top five list. I'm going to tweet out mine um, probably by the time you listen to this in a few hours, okay? So sometime on Tuesday, I'm going to tweet out my top five list, which goes like this. Number five, Joaquin Phoenix. Number four, Jared Leto. Number three, Heath Ledger. Number two, Mark Hamill. Number one, Jack Nicholson. But what are your top five jokers? Let me know. All right, guys, you heard the horn. You know what that means. It is halftime. And this week's halftime, bro, WWE, they're on network television. As someone who grew up watching wrestling, I never thought that it would get to the point where each and every week, right, over-the-air broadcast networks would be airing WWE's product. And I remember how special those Saturday night main events were as a youngster. They would come on NBC, and they'd give you like an hour, maybe two hours of uh, just a wrestling event, like a card, right? And it was free. You didn't have to pay any money. Came on Saturday night, so you get to stay up a little late. I remember how much I loved those moments. But now an entire different generation can watch wrestling on Friday nights on Fox. It's nuts to me. It's crazy to me. I'm not going to watch it anymore because my wrestling days are over. But one thing that I will always take with me, that wrestling has always gave me, something that I love the WWE for, and I will always love them for, is one simple word. And that word is, what? Of course, I'm talking about Stone Cold. He made one word, one syllable, what, into a movement. I don't know how he did it. I think it's fun just going down a YouTube rabbit hole and just listening to him say, what, over and over and over again. But it got me thinking, how can I incorporate that one word into my show, right? I try to bring you guys everything that is me in different variations, different creative ways, get you a little bit of piece of who I am as a person, as someone who enjoys sports and entertainment, so forth and so on. So anytime someone gets out there and says some shit that I just really don't understand, or it's just like, bro, what are you possibly on right now? I give you this one halftime where... You just randomly hear this person speak, and then from time to time, you hear Stone Cold give you those magical words, or that magical word. What? 
And this week, Terrence Howard. Some of you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of you probably have not heard it. But please, prepare yourself. Feast your ears on the incredible insanity that is Terrence Howard featuring my man Stone Cold Steve Austin in this week's halftime entitled what I mean everyone keeps trying to tell me don't say it's forever but I've spent 37 years pretending to be people so that people can pretend to watch and enjoy what, what I'm doing when what I've made some discoveries in my own personal life what with the science that what? You know, Pythagoras was searching for. What? I was able to open up the flower of life what? properly and find the real wave conjugations what? that we've been looking for for 10,000 years. What? Why would I continue, you know, walking on water for tips what? when I've got an entire generation to teach a whole new world? That, that's a big remark. Yeah. What, what, what do you intend to, to do? Well, let me put it this way. All energy in the universe is expressed in motion. All motion is expressed in waves. All waves are curved. So where does the straight lines come from what? to make the platonic solids? What? There are no straight lines. What? So when I took the flower of what? life and opened it properly, what? I found a whole new wave conjugations what? that expose the in-between spaces. What? That's It's the thing that holds us all together. What? I'm sharing that on, on Tuesday when I receive my star, I'm going to be able to prove that gravity is only an effect what? and not a force. What? I'm putting something on YouTube what? where I will build the planet Saturn what? without gravity and build what? the Milky Way galaxy wow. without what? gravity. What? What? Did you on also Tuesday. say you're getting your star on Tuesday? Yeah. On the Walk of Fame? On the Walk of Fame, well, which is interesting. How am I getting a star when I've never for a TV when I've never received an Emmy nomination for TV? You're a what? presenter tonight. You can do whatever you want when you stand in front of that microphone. What are you going to do? I have no idea. I'm just I'm just being honest and looking at it. What? You know, I would think an Emmy nomination would come first. What? <laughs> yeah. Hey, what are you supposed to say to that, huh? Hey, shout out to whomever gave that interview, bro. Like, I don't know how you don't laugh. This dog, where's the straight lines? <laughs> dog, what the fuck? Hey, man, I don't know what he was on. I don't know what type of drugs exist in Hollywood. But your man Lucius, your brother from, I don't, know, I don't even remember his name from The Best Man. Dog. Don Cheeto roughed all that Marvel money and Terrence Howard lost his goddamn mind. What? <laughs> this man, hey, I don't know what my favorite part was, but one of the this one may be it. When your man said he's gonna go on YouTube, YouTube, and give a dis, uh, a display of Saturn and the Milky Way and show how gravity is just an effect. Where is that link? <laughs> you understand? Dog, where is that? Where can I see that? Oh, sorry ass Terrence Howard trying to be a fake ass David Blaine. Go on YouTube. <laughs> hey, bro. I saw hey first off, I gotta I gotta give credit where credit is due. I heard this, and I'm sure a lot of you guys heard this for the first time on the Joe Budden podcast. I think it was last week, right? I know everybody doesn't listen to that podcast, but a lot of my listeners listen to that. So I was like, all right, man, some of y'all may have heard that before, but it's funny enough that you could rock it again. 
But a lot of y'all haven't heard that. And that shit is like literally maybe the funniest thing I've heard all year long. Hey, man, what? <laughs> Bro, I don't know what's up with your man. But I know he had the high of a lifetime that night talking about the straight lines don't exist. <laughs> Bro, just say no, baby. Just say no. But say yes to the second half. We've made our halftime adjustments. There is no Terrence Howard passing dope by, okay? We are clear-minded. We got two quarters left. You will hear no foolishness like that. We got straight lines here on the quarterly report, all right? There are straight lines all up and down this show, including, right, for our third quarter. Okay, we're going to step into the squared circle. A square means there's four lines. You understand? We are going to talk about the end of an era for one of the most impressive boxers of a generation. It's our third topic this week. Third quarter. It used to mean when you heard that music, what is it, Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes? When you heard... When you heard that music, that guitar strumming, that bass... It means that somebody was going to get their ass whooped. For the vast majority of the last 10 years, when you heard that song, it meant the Kazakhstan Commando. Matter of fact, nah, don't do that. <laughs> I'm, don't, call, don't call Gennady Golovkin that. Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, was on his way to whoop somebody's ass. That's how it was for the vast majority of a decade, right? About eight years or so, consistently. And this past weekend, if you had the the ability to watch Gennady Golovkin versus Sergei Devachenko, you realize that that era is coming to an end. Despite the fact that Golovkin won the fight, he got a knockdown. It was it, it was a little bit questionable. I, I've, I've got people who think that Golovkin actually lost that fight. Now I. I Scoring boxing is difficult, particularly when there are competitive rounds. You know, anybody can judge a round when it's obvious, okay, this guy definitely won these rounds right here, right? Because there are different ways to score a close fight. There could be obvious rounds where someone wins. So if one guy obviously wins seven rounds and someone else obviously wins five, it's a seven-round fight if we have legit scoring. And that's a close fight because... It's almost a split. However, let's say one guy clearly won, wins three rounds and another guy clearly wins two. That means what? You've got seven rounds that are very, very close. How do you then score? And I think that's kind of what we got on Saturday. Look, I'm not going to argue with anyone who thinks that Gennady Golovkin won. I thought he won as well. But in a bigger, bigger than just who won, Golovkin is now having to work extremely hard, extremely hard to get these victories. Now, everyone goes to that first Golovkin-Canelo fight. And again, I, I typically, I don't know, man. I, I, I know people think that Gennady Golovkin won that fight, and I'm not mad at you if you did, but I truly believe that that was a draw. Forget that one scores or that one judge's score for one second. It was ruled a draw, but only people remember the one bad 
uh, scorecard. That was a tough fight. It was a tough fight to score. And I can't, I don't know how anybody could be mad at a draw. Again, forget the score of the one card, right? No one fighter in that, in that first fight won going away. The second fight, I thought Canelo won. Right? And, and look, I get the, the, the idea that Canelo is the cash cow. He's the quote-unquote, like, literal golden boy of this era. So it's easy to say, yo, anytime there's a close fight, Canelo's going to get the benefit of the doubt. And look, that's unfortunate. But that's not anything new in boxing. It's not anything new in any professional sport. Michael Jordan, can you push off? And he's going to get the benefit of the doubt because he's Michael Jordan. Aaron Rodgers can can fall down awkwardly, and if there's a defender there, guess what? There's probably going to be a flag. It's just the way that that's just the way the world. Unfortunately, you take care of the sport's biggest personalities as much as you can. And again, I don't think that it was egregious. Are y'all making it seem like it was when De La Hoya got the the win over my boy? God bless the dead, sweet pea. Nah, it's not like that. It's not like that at all. Those Canelo Golovkin fights were classics and they were competitive. But unfortunately, so many casual fans only got wind of Golovkin when he started fighting Canelo. So your entire perception of one of the more unique stars of any sports in this recent era is completely warped. People have viewed Kennedy Golovkin as a victim. Because of the last two fights he had versus Canelo Alvarez. And no, this is me. This is not me defending Ganovkin. This is not me defending Canelo. This is me planting a flag. Because far too many, and I talked about this again, God bless the dead, when Sweet Pea died. So many people, you know, to me, Pernell Whitaker was my favorite athlete. And so many people just really did not have an idea about one of the sport's greatest until he died, right? Because everybody was concerned with the theatrics and the knockouts and all this other stuff that came from other weight class and other personalities of the sport. But there was a beauty that Sweet Pea had that people just did not know until they're like, oh my God, Sweet Pea died. Allow me, if you are not familiar with Gennady Golovkin, allow me to give kind of a refresher for those of you who only know him by losing and having a draw versus Canelo Alvarez or him barely beating a fighter this past Saturday on the zone. Gennady Golovkin is the human embodiment of the T-1000. <laughs> Deadass. When you watch Gennady Golovkin fight in his prime, trust me when I say this, if you ever saw Terminator 2 and the T-1000 would be shot, the motherfucker just kept coming. He just always kept coming, moving forward, ready to destroy anything and everything in its way. Without ever being super dramatic, no extreme, no demonstrative behavior, just focused Calm, steady, terrorizing. The T-1000 is the best way. Truly, I'm not lying. I'm not sizing it at all. The best way I can describe Gennady Golovkin in his prime was the most focused, calculated, right, efficient, and dominating 
sci-fi villains of all time. Because when Gennady Golovkin got in the ring, it wasn't that he was looking for the knockout. Because he would just attack you with his jab. It was just frightening that his jab could be used as a as a power punch. You know, Sergey Kovalev is a, oddly enough, Sergey Kovalev is on the uh, verge of fighting Canelo Alvarez in a matter of weeks. Kovalev was one of the other guys who used the jab as a power punch. Deontay Wilder, when he does throw the jab, he does it as well. But no one did it, did it excuse me, as effectively as Golovkin. And Golovkin did it for so long. He would, he would break down your space, he would fill you out, and he would jerk your neck back with the jab, and then it would set up the left. And it was amazing. And it would, there were no holds. For all the people who don't like the quote-unquote sweet science, right? The, 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 the game plan, right? The, the tactical nature of the sport of boxing. Gennady Golovkin ripped through all of that while still being one of the smartest boxers in the world. He would cut the ring off. Footwork was amazing. But the footwork was amazing. He wasn't getting hit. He kept coming forward. He would cut the ring off, but it wasn't as if it was the slow fights that a lot of people typically think that Floyd Mayweather has. No, 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 no. Golovkin would have amazing footwork, but he kept he'd keep coming forward. He'd work the body. It was it was this nonstop aggression. But unlike Sean Porter, it was calculated. It was very controlled. And again, unlike Sean Porter, which I talked about last week, Gennady Golovkin was one of the best power punchers in the world. For a time, he had the best knockout percentage in the history of the sport. Imagine, a lot, a lot of the time when Golovkin was at his best, he was at 154, and he was just mowing guys down. Just mowing guys down. Very calculated, very efficiently. Wasn't wild at all. Wasn't throwing crazy haymakers. Just very sharp, efficient, body blows, punches to the head, and it was just ongoing. I talked last week about how Sean Porter was exhausting just because of all of the energy that he would spend and all the wildness that he would use and just exert, just unorthodox fighting style. Golovkin was exhausting for the completely different reason. He just didn't stop, but it wasn't wild. You understand? It was smooth. It Again, go to YouTube and watch any Golovkin fight from the early, two, like the 2009, you understand, 2010, 2011. Like, they're just, you just watch and you marvel because he was completely unique. A power puncher who was so skilled and he knew how skilled he was that he would cut the ring off and you couldn't do anything until, until you really just start thinking, maybe, maybe I should exchange with him. Good luck. The only fighter who I saw exchange with Golovkin and, and could stand up to talk about it was Canelo. And again, unfortunately, those two fights versus Canelo Alvarez has, I think, done a, a larger job of painting what was one of the best fighters, truly, of all time. Definitely one of the best fighters of his generation. Those two fights, and that's not fair. No matter how you scored those two fights. 
whether you think he won both, whether you think he won one and didn't lose either, doesn't matter. Let's not let's not do that. Because obviously when you watch Saturday, you realize, okay, Golovkin's skill is starting to erode. And that's not a knock on him. The guy's been fighting for forever. And this is something else that needs to be discussed when talking about Gennady Golovkin. Not one time, not a single time, amateur, professional, hell, they say not even during sparring has he hit the canvas. When you fight that way, when you fight that way, engage, ready to throw hands at a moment's notice. And look, he's been in the ring with some of the biggest punchers in the world, okay? It's not like he's been ducking people. He was ready to fight everybody with one exception, Andre Ward. I'm not going to get off that Golovkin stance. I don't care what y'all say, okay? That's the one little black mark on Gennady Golovkin's resume. But look, Andre Ward is, we talk about Golovkin being one of the greatest fighters of his era. If Andre ain't number one, he's number two, okay? So look, uh, Golovkin is amazing. He's not Andre Ward. But I digress. I digress. Golovkin's style was completely different than Andre Ward's. We've seen Andre Ward's before. Smart boxers, calculated boxers, defensive boxers, boxers who can pick you apart mentally by their physical discipline, right? We haven't seen a boxer like Gennady Golovkin. Disciplined, but just keeps coming, keeps coming forward. And because he didn't fight Andre, he never really had to get in the ring with somebody who would make him pay, right, for his stubbornness as a fighter. But again, I'm not, this is not a, a, a quarter to bash Golovkin. This is not a quarter to talk about what if. This is a quarter to pay homage to a fighter who is a one of one. And though he has not retired yet, and I hope he has people in his corner to be like, look, bro, you've accumulated so much money. You've been fighting for forever. But these last five years, You've done so much for your brand and the sport. You don't have to keep doing this. You don't have to be Roy Jones, right? Gennady Golovkin, I don't know how his type of fighting ages once the power goes, right? He's not like Roy in that he's 100% dependent upon his athleticism, right? Because again, Golovkin is a disciplined fighter. He's smart. He does know how to box. But so much of his style is predicated on him just being such a big-time puncher that when you do, if he loses any type of punching power, which he obviously has over the years, when guys are not afraid to exchange with you, when that power is not a 10 and it starts to drop, and maybe it's an 8.5 now, right? But it was a 10, and now maybe it's growing to a 7. You're going to have these young Lions looking at a Golovkin fight as, look, if I could be the one not just to eke out a victory versus Golovkin, but to beat him and beat him that there's no doubt. This is how boxing works, man. Once you start to slip, even in the slightest, you're now putting, the sport is violent as is. But when you are not able to bring your best the way you've always been able to, and, it, and it's still new, so you haven't changed your game yet. At this point, Golovkin was still fighting as if he was the T-1000. And nah, he's not that anymore. And that's okay. 
But I hope he has people in his corner to either change his game or being like, yo, Gennady, we're good. Because no matter what happens from this point on, and this is the biggest point, the biggest takeaway that I hope you have if you're listening to my voice right now, is that I don't know if we'll see another Golovkin. And if you ever have been a fan of the sport of boxing, do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube and look at some of his fights that happened before Canelo. Because I'm not certain that we see a fighter with that discipline, that amount of pressure, that amount of mental energy and relentlessness. Not like Sean Porter. All of the energy that we talked about last weekend with Sean Porter, right? And the relentlessness that he had. Imagine that mentally. And just a steady, straight line, efficient, methodical, relentless fighter who could knock your lights off with one punch, a jab I even. That is what, and that is how I will remember Gennady Golovkin. Boxing fans, how will you remember Golovkin? Is the biggest thing that you will take away from a Golovkin from a historical standpoint? That he got robbed by Canelo. Maybe it was Curtis Stevens' look after talking shit about Golovkin for a year. When he finally got in the ring in MSG. And that look like, oh shit. After he got knocked down the first time. There are so many memorable moments from the Gennady Golovkin career. I want to hear from you. Let me know what you will remember Gennady Golovkin for. I'm talking like his career is over. It's not. And he'll probably fight a few more years. But... I wanted to take this time to let you all know how I will remember Gennady Golovkin because it looks as if the best years of Golovkin are now in the rear view. But I want to hear from you. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or tweet at me, quarterly show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E show. All right, guys. The NBA preseason is right around the corner. Typically, right, I'm talking about the NBA up and down players I just had my fantasy draft. So much excitement around my favorite sport. But I'm going to end this show talking about how the NBA, the Houston Rockets, James Harden, and damn near everybody else, Adam Silver included, dropped the ball. That's my fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. Yo, man, what the hell is going on with Daryl Morey, the Houston Rockets, and the NBA? First, I mean... There's so much blame to go around. Let's first start with Daryl Morey. Slim. You just can't be tweeting any old thing. Like, dog, and it'll be one thing. If the, I don't even know if everybody saw the initial tweet. It was just a shot of the logo and a few lines about the protest. He could have, if you if this was. If this is something near and dear to his heart, and let me make this perfectly clear because I've heard some people blame Daryl Morey for this entire, I guess, wildfire of events that continuously, that is still happening. The, rem the ramifications, the, like, the repercussions are still happening now. All right. I had to update this early Tuesday morning because Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, released another statement after having something on Monday. Okay. So this is how big of a deal this one small, what seemingly is a small tweet, a small action. So let this be a life lesson to everyone. If you put something on Twitter, Instagram, 
uh, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever social media platform you choose, understand this. The smallest thing in your eyes could have lasting implications later on. You never know how big or small of an issue it is, something is to someone else. I think when Daryl Morey, I think Daryl Morey felt comfortable because the NBA has this facade. They prop themselves up, and we've talked about this in the past before too. The NBA likes to think of itself as the super progressive, forward-thinking league, when in reality, you know, they just know how to dress nice. They know how to dress for the occasion. If you've got a family member, maybe let's let's use this analogy, right? A well-to-do white family, right? Raised in a uh, big city, so they have certain liberal ideals, right? And there's the younger brother who likes to think, you know what, I'm I'm super progressive and I'm this and I'm that and I'm for the cause and they have all of these, they dress the way, right? They, they go to the protest. They love to tell you how progressive they are while they go to their, you know, um, private club. They have a yacht for the weekend. You know what I'm saying? They're down for the cause when it's convenient, but they have no problem with their butler or their maid who's getting paid super below uh, value because their family has paid someone an undocumented worker. So they're getting paid below what they should be getting paid. And they got all these, all the benefits, all the privilege that depending on their circle, they love to talk down about. That's the NBA. The NBA will make you think, will, will allow you to believe that they're down for the cause and they're, you know, all about changing the status quo and it for the people when in reality they're just like the nfl the difference is the nfl understands they have years and years and years of the blueprint the nfl is built upon the quarterbacks number two but number one the city the jersey the team this this ideal of togetherness we all know the nfl could care a damn about being together, community. They don't care about that, right? They care about the bottom line. But the NFL has invested so much time and energy that really the only players that we really, really, really care about, the only players that really, really, really sell tickets are the quarterbacks. But people buy the idea of community and teamwork and all this other bull when it comes to the NFL. It's the old saying. Fans in the NFL love the team, the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back. And that's the realest shit ever. The NBA, they smartly realized that, you know, we can't do that. We're not the NFL. We don't have 100 years of football to build upon. But what the, NFL, the NBA did wisely understand was that, you know what? People love our players. There's an entire different set of sports fans out there who love our players. So let's make the players, not the, the, not the team. That's why so many fans now, they don't really have a favorite team. They have favorite players. And the players, now that they move from time to time, they follow the favorite players. That's just the, that's just the way the NBA works now. And that's not a judgment on it. It's just a reality. So the NBA wisely lets the players take the lead in terms of 
setting the tone and setting the face of a franchise instead of the face of the league. LeBron James is the one of the most recognizable faces in the planet. And LeBron James will speak on matters that other star athletes would never even dare to touch. LeBron James will jump out there front street and let his opinions be heard. Will voice his opinions. And this is not, you may not like LeBron, you may love LeBron. There's plenty of that type of stuff and plenty of those discussions to go around. But one thing that I think we all should admire about LeBron is that he doesn't bite his tongue. When there are issues near and dear to his heart, he speaks on them. Consequences be damned. So because of that, and it's not just LeBron, it's Steph Curry, it's Dwayne Wade, even though he's out the league now, it's, you know, uh, Kevin Durant. Like, with the exception of, like, just a few, and those guys are like Kawhi Leonard, who doesn't really talk about anything. But with the, I mean, think about it. Russell Westbrook did one of the most, I don't even know, like, when Russell Westbrook went 20-20-20 in honor of Nip, God bless the dead, like, that's one of the hardest salutes ever. Like, I don't I don't know if the history books, and that's going to be incumbent on us, the people, to make sure people remember that. That's one of the most unbelievable and impressive feats that I can think of, man, in recent history. You know what I mean? And then he talked about it. He talked about it. He saluted the crip, right? On national television. But that was something near and dear to his heart. And that's one of the things that makes the NBA so special. Thought I could give you a whole show on how strongly I feel about Russell Westbrook and that one particular salute, right? But I'm not going to do that. I don't want to get off on a tangent. The point is, the NBA wisely understood that, you know what? We're going to fall back and we're going to let our players take the lead in terms of marketing us as an entity. And because the players drive the NBA, we all have a false sense of, yo, the NBA as a league really cares about the people. The NBA is so progressive. It's so, again, they look the part. They go to the protests. They wear the shirts. They have the hashtags. You understand? They got the, the, the certain haircut that makes you think, oh, this person is, they with it. They down with it. They understand. You understand? They for the cause. You know, but it's just the facade. The NBA doesn't give a damn about any type of social issues. They care about money. And they have found this nice little position where they can straddle the fence. The players care 100%. The players care about a lot of these social issues, and they all deserve to be commended for it. But what we have seen with this China incident with Daryl Morey, the Houston Rockets in China, and these protests in Hong Kong is that you fuck up the money. Oh, no, 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 no. All that progressive and power to the people and, you know, freedom of speech, we cutting that out. Because China, they're not playing. <laughs> they were like, okay, think about it. And this is why I want to go back to Daryl Morey. He, he tweeted out so flippantly. It wasn't like it was this profound tweet that it, it feels as if he was really wrestling with something and that he really wanted to get it off his chest. He just kind of tweeted something, and I don't think he, he could, I don't think he understood how big of a deal and how big of a firestorm he was going to cause because of this one 
harmless, seemingly harmless tweet. And that's on him. He has to own that. Because if you rattle the fence, you better be damn well ready for all of the repercussions. And clearly, Daryl Morey was not. He didn't. He was completely ignorant about how much this means to those people in China. And you're in Houston. So much of your fan base, so much of the money that comes into your organization stems from those people. So it's truly just an, an act of ignorance. If you are going to say something, you better damn well know exactly what you're talking about and how it will affect the people closest to you. The owner of the Houston Rockets had James Harden trot out in front of the cameras apologizing. James Harden didn't do anything. Adam Silver had to make two different, send out two different responses. Talk about this on camera. This is a big deal. The NBA is a global league. The NFL dominates America. But when we talk about worldwide sports, don't think that the NFL doesn't see what the NBA is doing and isn't jealous of it. The NBA is global. You talk about the biggest sports in the world. It's soccer, number one. NBA, number two. I don't even know what will be three. It damn sure ain't football. So there's a, there's a certain level of responsibility that you have to intake. So number one, Daryl Morey dropped the ball because he did not fully understand the significance of his tweet. I think he was just feeling, hey, man, shout out. And again, there's nothing wrong supporting those protesters. It's a civil right protest. It's an action about civil rights. That's important. But don't flippantly just tweet something out. Know the significance of your platform. That's something for all of us, for all of us to hear. Number two, the NBA's big business. So if you are looking at the NBA disgusted at how, you know what? You should be disgusted. If you, if you feel disgusted by how the NBA switched sides and quickly pivoted to being another business, I can understand your frustration but understand this, the NBA isn't better than any of these other leagues. They're the same BS guys. Owners, multi-millionaire or billionaire owners, they don't think like you and I, bro. So while the NBA, they like to look the part, scratch, do more than scratch the surface. Dig in a little bit deeper. And you'll realize that the NBA owners, they just like the NFL owners that I was talking about in quarter number one. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you go and you meet some people at a protest and you think you connected with them and then a few weeks later you realize that they ain't shit. It's the same thing. It's easy to look the part. Once you start sacrificing money and things that matter to you, your job, your well-being, your health, okay, now we know we ain't playing. Everybody can say they down for the cause. Everybody can tweet a hashtag. Everybody can wear a shirt. You feel me? Ain't, ain't too many people going to actually fight. So if you're one of those fighters and you're looking at the NBA kind of sideways, I feel you. The NBA is not a fighter when it comes to social, trying to, uh, trying to fight for social justice. They're not. They're looking out for their bottom line. Some of the players in the NBA are definitely for the fight. And that's what we have to understand. 
The NBA knows that their players are at the forefront. The NBA knows that their players are the marketing tools. But don't confuse the players for the league. Because what we are witnessing now, and trust me, this story is far from over. Okay, China is clearly upset with the Houston Rockets and the NBA. They've they've postponed two preseason games over in China. Like we talk a, a lot of money has been paused now. The pause button has been put hit, been hit for a lot of money because of this one tweet. So much to take away from this one incident. I'm interested in seeing how the NBA moves forward because I know they want to go back to business as usual because it's good for the brand. It's good for the NBA to say like, yo, we're the younger brother of the NFL. We're the younger, more progressive, more quote unquote down version of the NFL, but they're not. They're the least successful American version of the NFL. That's what they are. They're not as popular as the NFL in America, but because they're trying to straddle the fence and be, all of these different things, they're hurting themselves where it matters most. And that's internationally with one of the biggest markets on the globe. Adam Silver in the league talks a really good game. Let's see how they back it up. I want to hear how you guys feel about this or any other topic that you heard me talk about this week on the show. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at me at quarterlyshow. Follow me, download, subscribe to the Quarterly Report Podcast on Apple iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podknife, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Let me, your friends, and the world, let us all know what you think by leaving a review, not just the five stars or four stars or whatever type of star review you want to give me, but write me a note. Let me know. Let the world know your thoughts on this podcast or any of the other 120 episodes that I have in the bag. I want to thank each and every one of you for rocking with me for another episode of the Quarterly Report. Next week, I will see you right back here on Tuesday. Y'all have a great, safe week.